0: Welcome to another sermon podcast from All Souls Anglican Church, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thanks for joining us as we study God's Word together. These weekly sermons are part of the teaching ministry of our church. Have your Bible ready as we begin this week's sermon. And stay tuned when we finish at the end to find out more about us.
1: Now, we're at the fourth in our verse-by-verse sermon series on Paul's letter to the Colossians. We're in God's Word today at Colossians 1, 24 to 2, 5. That's page 983 in your pew Bible that Barbara read to us just a moment ago. Now, so far in our study, we've been impressed with how the Apostle Paul has sought to minister to the Colossians believers whom he never met but were converted under the ministry of Epaphras who himself had been converted under Paul's ministry in Ephesus. We've learned that there is a problem of false teaching and false teachers in Colossae and among the churches in the region around Colossae. We're not told specifically what that teaching was, we can see from Paul's response to it that it is a common drift into error that remains with the church to the present day. It is an attempt to redefine the gospel that has saved the Colossians by declaring that it is somehow insufficient, that one must add some other method or technique so that you can become a true follower of Jesus Christ. And so, by focusing on a secondary method, we learned last week how the primary reality, the preeminence of Jesus Christ himself, the the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, diminishes, and fades into the background that we are in the end quite frankly underwhelmed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, we must never forget this principle. It is the gospel lens that sets Jesus Christ in his proper place as preeminent as Lord of all, whose mission is to save us. And that work began before the foundation of the world itself. You see, our mistake is to assume less of Christ and so add our own agendas so that this notion of fullness becomes much more of our own self-centered affirmation rather than our Savior's true glorification. It becomes more our self-centering affirmation than our Savior's true glorification. Now, that is not the Christian's position. We are not to look horizontally we must look vertically we are to ponder what God has said in all the scriptures for he is their author it is his word its truth is abiding we are to refresh again and again the reality of his character to flee to him for his mercy conscious of our sinfulness overwhelmed by his perfect justice, and so rest in that perfect mercy. For Jesus Christ paid it all, who has been sent to be our substitute, even when we were God's enemy. And so Christ is glorified. He is preeminent and is worthy to receive all the glory. And so we asked ourselves last week, how amazed am I of these truths? How am I considering the preeminence of Jesus Christ in my life every day? Now we see in what follows today how sound biblical doctrine of what we have studied so far is applicable immediately. Paul demonstrates in 124-25 how the preeminence of Christ so transforms the mind of him, his minister, and all ministers, that it's manifested in three ways. We see it there in the outline. First, it is in the willing suffering of the gospel message that he proclaims, the minister and the message. Second, it is his obedience to his calling. And thirdly, in the consequence of Christ being preeminent in his ministry, brings for the Colossians a solemn admonition, a solemn warning. So let's go and look at these now, this afternoon. First, the minister and the message, verses 24 through 27. Why don't you follow along as I read it again? Now I rejoice in my sufferings, To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now what we must understand immediately, my dear friends, right away, is that the suffering for the sake of the gospel that the believer endures is not masochism. It is not the joy that comes with the physical pain itself. To understand what actually is going on here, we must seek its cause. Where precisely is Christ preeminent here? Now we see it in the second half of verse 25. Do you see it there? Paul writes to make the word of God fully known. Now here, what's going on is, is that the Lord Jesus Christ is exercising his prophetic office by the Holy Spirit. For as Christ the prophet in the scriptures is revealed, it is his teaching ministry that is carried on in the church today in his name. It's teaching the word of God to make the word of God fully known that the minister is serving the church of God. It is by the truth of the gospel that the church is formed, that it's sustained and equipped. So without a satisfactory ministry of the word, what happens? The church must necessarily wither and die. Because the ministry of the word of God, because it is Christ's prophetic office being manifested in every local congregation, it is the preeminent ministry that governs all the forms of ministry in the churches. No spiritual ministries can exist safely or fruitfully in isolation from God's word without their be a risk of it becoming meaningless or lifeless. We have our own example in our own heritage, how the 16th century reformers rediscovered the power and significance of the ministry of the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism precisely because they rediscovered the preeminence of the ministry of the word. Now this is Paul's great aim. He wants fully to dispense this truth in such a way that every Christian man and woman is led towards spiritual maturity, is led to fullness where Christ is preeminent in their lives. We know this because Paul also tells us that the word of God is fully known. Now, notice this, how he uses the word mystery. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, he's being rather clever here. Because the Greek here is to critique the false teachers who use the same word to describe their unique methods. These secret truths that only they understood. But do you see how he writes that this mystery hidden for ages and generations is now what? It's revealed. It's not hidden. And who is it revealed to? To his saints. In other words, there is no further spiritual fullness required. What was hidden is now revealed in broad daylight. But what is it? Well, look at what he says here. To them, namely to the believers, the Gentile believers, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Which is what? Do you see it there? Which is Christ in you. God chose to make known his glory. Christ in you. Christ is the secret. Union in Christ for you. For the church, both Jew and Gentile, Christ dwells within you, the hope of glory. And this is Paul's joy. It is every genuine servant's joy to know this truth and to realize it in the fellowship of believers in the local church. That is one way we demonstrate practically how Jesus Christ is preeminent in our lives. Well, now we can read Paul's suffering in its proper context, can't we? Because what does Paul write? I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Remember the significance of the preeminent word ministry for your sake and the fruit of maturity that Christ is preeminent amongst the Colossians. But notice also this reality of suffering, that we are in the first in line to suffer, particularly our godly leaders. Now, why is that? Now, we could say, well, it's the consequence of the fruit, the fruit of their labors, perhaps, but there's a danger there because we could end up becoming self-centered on the person himself or our ministry's success. That's not what this is about. It's right there in verse 24. Do you see it there? I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. So let's see what this is about now. Why is Paul saying that our suffering in some way is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Your suffering, my suffering, For the sake of the gospel, we must remember how Jesus' resurrection has inaugurated the new age. But the old will continue alongside it until Jesus' second coming. So the whole time span between the Lord's resurrection and his return is this turnaround of eras working side by side. And therefore, the whole period of time would be characterized by woe for God's anointed. Such suffering is actually a sign, evidence, that you and I are God's new people, that Christ is preeminent in our lives. Because the principalities and powers of this world under Satan himself and in the hearts of unbelieving sinful men and women rage against the fact that there are those who are in Christ Jesus and also declare them by their witness his preeminence, his rule over all the earth. And in the believer, this becomes a great comfort, rejoicing in suffering. Because just as Jesus Christ suffered, so by the fact that he is fully God and fully man, he gathers in union with him all of your suffering as well. And so he gathers that together. We are incorporated into his life. Think of it like this. Sometimes it's said that a minister has a thicker skin than the ordinary lay person. I always rebel against the idea of a lay person being ordinary. There is no such thing, truly. You are born again in Christ. You are beyond price. There is no ordinary Christian in Christ Jesus, but that is what people will say. Those who glory, those who seem to have a thicker skin when suffering comes, they understand that their suffering is caught up in their Savior's suffering. They understand that their suffering is a sign of the preeminence of Christ in the reality of his rejection his persecution to the cross, so too now the church suffers. And this is gathered in, into Christ himself. And so the minister bears the marks of Christ dying in his body. They are not his wounds, his suffering, they are Christ's. And this is why Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 describes godly gospel ministers in this way. Listen to what he says. For we who live are always given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. you see, my dear friends, this is how the preeminence of Christ is revealed in the suffering of his ministers. The next thing that Paul goes on to talk about is the outworking of Christ's preeminence in our obedience to our calling to share the gospel message. It's right there, beginning at verse 28. Him we proclaim and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Notice what he says, him we proclaim. Now Notice also how it is Paul's union in Christ that gives him the strength to continue with every day he is given. He is compelled, in other words, To proclaim this same message, how Christ has suffered and died as a propitiation for our sins according to the scriptures. How he rose again on the third day and ascended to the Father, all according to the scriptures. But look back now for a moment to verse 22. Do you see it there? There's some amazing words there. That it is Christ's design your Savior's design to present his people to God holy and without reproach. So Paul, so every minister in obedience, in obedience to their commission, in union with their Savior, so also strives to present everyone committed to their pastoral care as perfect in Jesus Christ. That is the content of, of their prayers that is the intentions of their admonition and this is the passion of their preaching this parallel reveals again how closely all godly ministers are related to God's purpose in their own vocation because God is at work when the apostle Paul is at work God is at work when every godly minister, saturated in prayer and submissive to his heavenly father in obedience to his word, steps into a pulpit to proclaim the word of God itself. Notice how he says, for this I labor. Now that's a, not a statement of mere human effort. It is effort. The Greek word here refers to uncompromising hard work but there's a deeper truth here do you see it struggling with all his energy now who is that that he powerfully works within me it is the energy of god's spirit that is at work in the heart of the apostle paul that is why in 1 corinthians 15:10 he writes it is not i but the grace of God that is in me. You see, his laboring is God's spirit at work that is bringing the apostle Paul himself to maturity. So the Paul does not go about his work half-heartedly, hopefully vaguely, that somehow, way, grace will fill in the gaps that he's too lazy to work at himself. No, that's not what's going on here. It's not all up to him. So that unless he burns himself out with this toil, nothing will happen. He knows that God's desire is to bring believers to maturity and that God has called him to share in that work. And that is the glory of the godly minister. That is the joy that he has, that in the work he does and the effort that he makes, this tireless effort week in and week out to prepare the sermons, to visit the sick, to comfort those and admonish others, it is because God is at work. He is not alone. And so, my dear friends, every time you yourself do the same in your own ministry, God is at work in you and Christ is is preeminent in everything that you do. So he can work hard without this stressful motivation of pride or fear. You see, it's that way that we can see how we all can become examples of maturity that seeks God and God alone and seeks to produce God and God alone in others because Christ is at work. And his glory is our goal. Now notice how he writes that positive teaching may not be enough. We know, don't we, that there is, that there is no telling what truly muddles a believer's mind. That we all can have happen to us from time to time. So it's part of the task of the one who proclaims Christ to straighten out confusions, to search out for and tie together correctly those loose ends of half-grasped ideas so that the positive teaching may not be instantly distorted upon reception but be correctly understood, biblically understood, coherently understood in light of the preeminence of Jesus Christ and therefore lived out, all with the goal of remaining in Christ. So obedience in Christ brings about an understanding of my deeper union in Christ and so makes Christ preeminent in my life. But Paul doesn't stop there, does he? He has a solemn warning of false teachers in verses four and five of chapter two. Now I say all this, he says, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So We can see here what we've been talking about, can't we? Notice first how being in Christ leads to Paul's warning to the Colossians. There's an admonition here, isn't there? That we need not look for wisdom or knowledge elsewhere. But we also must understand that there is a long way to go. And that we must continue to work with effort to understand the rich inheritance that we have entered into because Christ himself is the mystery of God. He's not just a clue to it. He's not just the key to it, as if there was something other than himself, because he is it. He is preeminent, is he not? So everything we might want to ask about God and his purposes can and must now be answered solely in reference to the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. This is precisely what Paul means when he talks of riches and treasures that he invites the Colossians and you and I to explore with eagerness. And my dear friends, this is why the Jesus of so-called progressive Christians throughout history is an underwhelming Jesus because they cast him in terms that separate him from the reality of his crucifixion and his resurrection. Instead, he becomes someone who's open to diversity, that could become our example, that he becomes this wise teacher and exemplar for us. That is not his reality. Paul makes it clear. His reality is crucified and risen. Jesus is Lord. He is preeminent over all things. And so Paul writes his warning. Because the mark of false teachers was that although their content was false, their manner was such that people readily believed them, that they had a winsome way of speaking, a winsome way of writing, an engaging way, an attractive way that appealed to the culture around them. So, their listeners are carried away by their creativity and their skill with which their picture of Jesus was presented. But, my dear friends, a believing people who are schooled in the scriptures can readily see the problem. Where is his crucifixion? Where is his resurrection? How is Jesus ruling now? He is Lord. He is alive. He is not just what we read of in the Gospels. The Gospels point us all toward the cross and to the empty tomb. That is the whole purpose in their writing. Yet winsomely we hear how he is Jesus for everyone. A people who are charmed and excited by the creative imagery of false teachers are in no mood for analysis, so what is the result? Paul tells us here, those who gave heed to these impressive and creative speakers are deluded by them. Now this is a powerful word here in the Greek, deluded, because it means people who were deceived, they were led astray from right paths. And this word appears in the New Testament only one other place, James one twenty-two, where it's used in a much more sobering, a much more chilling way. It means the capacity in all of us to deceive ourselves. Consider that, my dear friend. That's very sobering, isn't it? because listeners to new teachers may be willingly deceiving themselves, that they want to believe what they're hearing. So where does that leave us? It leaves us with a solemn responsibility that all believers must examine very carefully All the teaching you hear for its truthfulness and its content according to the line and measure of the entire word of God rather than its attractiveness, rather than its winsomeness, rather than its packaging. Why? Because Christ is preeminent. And in his prophetic office, his word is preeminent. And that is also the responsibility on those who preach. Our task is with the truth of God's word. And with the God-given conviction that it brings. It is in preaching Christ. And Christ alone, Christ as preeminent above all things, that the churches find it possible to stand at all. Obviously, we see it in our own day, that if Christ is less than preeminent, is believed among the churches, there is really no gospel to preach, nor good news to offer. So, my dear friends, we must take very seriously Paul's claim that all our spiritual treasures, the very insurance of our own spiritual lives, are found in Jesus Christ and in him alone. No other. No matter how winsome or attractive it may sound, take care, my dear friends. Take care. A false teacher is at work. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. You can find out more about us by going to our website, allsoulsnj.org. There, you can support our mission by making a one-time donation or starting a podcast member subscription by clicking the Support the Show link under the Contact Us tab. You can also support us in prayer by clicking the email newsletter tab at the top. All Souls Anglican Church. Simple Church. Ancient Truth. Real People. New Life.